0: You know, there is something about spreading joy or serving or giving that is actually personally rewarding. I mean, you do something to help other people, right? You do a good deed or you help someone else or you give to a charity that you believe in. But somehow in the economy of heaven, you are blessed through blessing somebody else. And there are all sorts of scientific studies that show uh, generous people, uh, people who use their time and their talents and their resources to bless others, they live happier lives. And I know some people like this. I know some people who are good gift givers. Every Christmas, Doug and Jane host a Christmas party for the staff team here and the board at Fort City, and we invite the Youth with a Mission uh, crew to come as well. And, I mean, you guys probably wouldn't expect a party with pastors and missionaries to be fun. It is a blast. We have so much fun at this thing. And one of the things that we do every year is a gift exchange uh, where everyone brings a gift and puts it under the tree. And then later in the evening, we, you know, we take turns going up and picking a random gifts. And some of the gifts, you guys, are so hilarious Uh, A couple of years, somebody wrapped up a matte black horse head statue that Adrienne had used as a decoration in her office. They took it out of her office, wrapped it up, and put it in the gift exchange. She never got that horse head back. It is in Seattle somewhere right now, and we have no idea. And I'm going to go on record as saying that Matt Manili gave the best gift ever in all the years that we have done it. He found a picture from Adrian's youth and put it on a coffee mug. I don't know if you can read what it says at the bottom there. It says, have you heard of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? That's more of a Halloween gift than it is a Christmas gift. Um. And then last year, uh, Steph uh, bought a special gift out of the back of a black minivan parked in the Walmart parking lot. I know what you're thinking. It wasn't that. It wasn't drugs. Uh, she bought pickled hot dog wieners and put this in the gift exchange. Can you maybe don't imagine? they? Yeah, that's quite the charcuterie with pickled hot dog wieners. Who doesn't have a hankering for Walmart parking lot pickled hot dog wieners? Everyone just died. These presents, you know, this this, this moment in our party every year, it just, it brings so much. Oh, is there a picture? <laughs> yeah. I hope our online viewers can't see that. Let's just spare them that. But <clears throat> these presents, they bring joy to everyone. But I'm willing to bet, and I think I know from experience that the people who gave the gifts probably experienced more joy than the rest of us who received them, right? There's something, there's more pictures happening behind me. Is it okay? <laughs> when you give, you experience personal joy. God has wired us this way. He has literally designed our biology to give us a boost when we are kind, when we are generous or caring or give a gift. Uh, Something called the pituitary gland in the middle of your brain, right at the center of your brain, it releases a chemical called oxytocin. Not oxycodone or not the the, the bad one. Oxytocin. It's it's natural and, and it's what scientists and medical professionals call the love drug or the hugging drug because it happens when you are kind and when you are generous and it fosters healthy relationships. It's when you are kind and generous and bring joy to other people, your body literally rewards you with drugs that help foster healthy relationships. And this is just one of the ways that we are like our Creator. He has made us this way because he himself is this way. He, it brings him joy to give us joy. It blesses him to bless us. He loves to give his children good gifts. It's just part of his nature. And we've been talking uh, about Jesus for the past month. And two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus is a healer, right? That healing isn't just something that he did. Healing isn't just someone, a healer isn't just someone he was, but that it's still something he does and it's still who he is. And last week, we talked about Jesus as the giver of peace, but that sometimes to gain that peace, we have to be willing to disturb the peace. That to experience full freedom and wholeness, we have to address the uncomfortable unrest that lies just below the surface of our souls. And this week, we're going to talk about Jesus as the giver of joy. Joy is his design. It's something he created for us, something he wants us to to experience. And in Galatians, Paul said this, that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. In other words, joy should spring from our relationship with Jesus. Joy should be a hallmark of the Christian life. But if we're honest, some of the most grumpy people we know are Christians. And sometimes I'm one of them. My wife has given me the nickname Dark and Stormy <laughs> because I can be a little dark and stormy sometimes. Uh, there's this great song uh, by the band Weezer that's called All My Favorite Songs. And the first line of the chorus is, all my favorite songs are slow and sad. And I relate to that. I like sad, sad music. The sadder, the better. And even further than that, like, I like sad lyrics sung in a happy way And happy lyrics sung in a sad way is twisted. I know, I'm working on it. It's, It's weird. But sadness and grumpiness and seriousness are not fruits of the spirit, but joy is. So let's talk about that. The first four books of the New Testament, we've been, that's where we've been these last couple of weeks. The books are written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the four books that record the life of Jesus where we get most of our historical evidence for for the life of Jesus. It's written by real people who lived real lives, who had real experiences. Uh, John and Matthew were the friends of Jesus. John Mark was close associates with Peter. um, And Luke, you know, he kind of knew all of them. He was a contemporary of all of them and researched it and and, and wrote all the facts down in the best way that he could. And these four accounts of the life, we call them the gospels. Uh, The four accounts of the life of Jesus, we call them the gospels. The gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of John, so on. And the word gospel just simply means good news. The story of Jesus, the greatest story ever told, is a story of good news for all people. The story of Jesus is literally the good gift of a good God for the good of all humankind. So what is this good news? And to kind of figure that out, we're going to take a look at a story from the book of Luke from Luke's gospel. And Jesus had been doing Jesus things and his reputation was starting to spread. The stories of his powerful preaching and his healing and his uh, grace was spreading everywhere. So everywhere he went, crowds were gathering and he's traveling from town to town, preaching and healing. And Luke tells us this short story from Luke 19. He said, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. And let's talk about this Zacchaeus guy for a quick second. He is a tax collector, and the context of that we sometimes miss, right? We think taxes and government and revenue agency, and we don't like that. But in the ancient world this position was something that we can't even begin to imagine the world jesus was born into was a world of roman oppression rome had conquered the land and the jews were not free in their own homes and they were not free to live the way that they wanted to live and the romans they were they were brutal occupiers history records them lining the cities that they have conquered the roads into the cities that they've conquered with the crucified bodies of men, women, and children, just to say, this is our city now, not yours. Rome was the enemy of the Jewish people. And a tax collector like this guy, Zacchaeus, was a Jew who purchased the right from Romans to collect taxes on their behalf. And because of this, they were considered traitors their own people. They were rejected by their families. They were alienated from their communities. Uh, The tax collectors, they were considered the lowest of the low. You could not get any worse than a tax collector, and no reasonable person would ever be caught associating with a tax collector. And our guy Zacchaeus, he isn't just a tax collector. He was chief of tax collectors. He was the one in charge of the whole racket, the worst of the worst, and he became wealthy, he became rich, collecting Rome's taxes from his own people and taking more than he should so that he could put it in his own pocket. There is no doubt when we read this story, the name Zacchaeus is not a good name. He is not a good person. The people in the story do not like Zacchaeus. So let's keep reading. He tried, Zacchaeus, he tried to look at Jesus. Jesus is coming into the town of Jericho, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. And we should stop here just quickly. He's too short to see over the crowd. And guys, I get this. My twelve-year-old son is taller than me already. My nine-year-old son is on his way. My wife is not allowed to wear high heels because she's too tall, tall. Uh, next to me. I've said it before at our wedding. I put my head on her shoulder at our first dance. You know, I get—I I identify with Zacchaeus here. He's too short to see over the crowd, but he is desperate to see Jesus. And I'm not sure why. It's safe for us to assume that Zacchaeus would have fully expected Jesus to be mean to him, to judge him, to treat him like all the other people did, like an outcast. So it confuses me sometimes as to why he's so excited to meet Jesus, yet he was so desperate to catch a glimpse of him. So he does this undignified thing in the culture, and he climbs the tree. And Luke doesn't tell us this, but he probably needed a boost from somebody. And the story goes on. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus in the tree and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. That was probably the first person, the first Jewish person who willingly talked to Zacchaeus in a long time. And he knew his name. Can you imagine what he must have been thinking? Who, me? Is he talking to me? He can't be talking to me. Nobody talks to me. And the streets, they're packed with people, right? They're packed with good people, good Jews, respected people, you know, religious people. And yet Jesus walking through this crowd looks up to the one person in the crowd that nobody liked, that nobody respected, that nobody gave a chance, and he picked him. So many people relate to Zacchaeus in this way. They feel like outcasts. They are interested in Jesus. They want to explore faith, maybe even in a place like church, but they are convinced that they are not good enough, that they don't belong, that nobody's going to talk to them because they've done too much wrong, or they're just going to judge them. And you heard it in Amber's video story from earlier. She was terrified to come into the building because she was terrified that somebody was going to be angry with her. And she, she said, she didn't, I didn't include this in the video, but she said she was shocked and happy And when she showed up at church, she was expecting, you know, an old, grumpy, jerk, angry Christian. And she was excited and happy to discover it was just some dummy in a Carhartt t-shirt. Right? That was me. No one should feel the way that Amber did that day. No one should be afraid of us to be so anxious that they have to circle the block over and over again just to gain the courage to walk in the front door. No one has gone too far, done too much. They are not ever beyond the love of Jesus. And especially beyond the love of those of us who say that we follow Jesus. But it still happens. People think Christians are grumpy, judgmental jerks. And a lot of the time, they're not wrong. The story goes on. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down the tree. Zacchaeus, come down the tree. I've got to come to your house for dinner. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. No sooner was Zacchaeus filled with joy about meeting Jesus and about experiencing his grace and his love, did the self-righteous few start grumbling and complaining. And I don't want to harp on this too long, but guys, this is an important lesson for us in the middle of this story. Do not be the self-righteous grumblers. Don't be the ones that make people hesitant about exploring their faith, about coming to a church for the first time. Don't be the ones making others feel like they don't belong. Be like Jesus. Reach your hand out to the one no one else will. And the church must be the uh, place for restoring the lost and rejected by seeking them where they are, not by remaining isolated from them, and certainly not by judging them. So Jesus heads to Zacchaeus' home, and then something happens. Something that often happens when notorious sinners meet Jesus, Zacchaeus is changed by the love of Jesus. He has experienced the joy that comes from knowing him, from being loved. And he does something very unexpected. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. I promise I'm almost done. Um, <laughs> Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. He has experienced the joy of knowing Jesus. And his first thing that he does immediately, he seeks to make right his wrongs and bring that joy to others. Knowing Jesus moved him to action. And watching this happen, Jesus is sitting there watching Zacchaeus change in front of all these people. I know Jesus is smiling when he said this, salvation has come to this home today. And you know how I know Jesus was smiling? Luke doesn't tell us he's smiling, but I know it. Because I know how Jesus feels about it when people choose to follow him. It's his favorite in fact, a few stories before this one, earlier in the book of Luke, Jesus is telling this parable about a shepherd who's lost a sheep, and he leaves his 99 sheep to go searching for this one lost sheep. He leaves the 99 who are okay to search for the missing one. And then when he it tells a story, when that shepherd finds that one, he's so happy.
1: Now He's happy
0: that the 99, but he's so happy about the one that he found. And then Jesus summarizes that story by saying, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. There's more joy in heaven. Every time someone chooses Jesus, heaven erupts in joy. And last week, when Amber came bursting out of that water, heaven erupted in loud, thunderous applause joy. There is joy when even just one life chooses life in Christ. And that day in the home of the chief of tax collectors, watching an outcast become part of the kingdom of the family of God, Jesus was smiling because of course he was. That sort of joy is contagious For me, there is an important part of this story, of Zacchaeus' story, that I don't want us to miss. In response to the joy that he experienced at the invitation of Jesus, Zacchaeus chose to receive that and pass it on to others, to make amends, to make restitution, not just to keep the joy of his salvation to himself, but to share it. This, this is the good news of the gospel, that the world was thrust into brokenness and sin and darkness, but in Jesus, a light broke through that darkness, allowing us to know our creator and to be whole again. And it doesn't stop there, but that he has invited us to join him in that world-changing work of love, to be part of the greatest story ever told. This as the angel said, is the good news that brings great joy. And God has chosen you and I to be the storytellers, the ones who carry this story into a world that so desperately needs it. On Thursdays at 11.30 a.m., I normally go live on the church's Facebook to have a conversation about faith. It's cheesy. We call it Lucas, Live with Lucas. Uh, You should come sometime. It would be great to have you there. Um, Somebody this week thought it said, Live with Lucas. That's a very different uh, sort of thing. It's Live with Lucas on Facebook. Uh, But this week I got to, to talk about the unlikely heroes that Jesus often uses to carry his story into the world. Um, I'll just briefly talk about three, like how he used a, a demon-possessed man from the shores of the Galilee Lake. He was this lunatic, right? This demon-possessed man. The town near, the town near him couldn't, didn't trust him enough to let him roam free, so they tied him up with chains on, 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 by the lake. Nobody trusted him. Everybody knew him. And Jesus walks into this guy's story and heals him just like that. The town lunatic suddenly healed. And he wants to come with Jesus, but Jesus says, no, I want you to go to the town and tell everybody what happened here today. And because that guy went to the town where nobody trusted him, where everyone knew he was crazy, where everyone, they were the ones who tied him up by the shore. The Bible tells us that many people that day came to follow Jesus. Or there's a Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, Samaritans and Jews had a, vi- a history steeped in racism and bigotry. And, and this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman from the story, uh, she had a history of sexual promiscuity. And everyone in town knew about her too. That in fact, she didn't just have one husband, that she's had five. And that she's, she's, she's going all over. She had a reputation in that town. Earned unearned, and she had this reputation. And Jesus met her and trusted her with his story. And the Bible tells us because she went to town and told everyone what happened with her when she met Jesus, that many Samaritans in that town chose to follow Jesus. Or then there's Mary Magdalene. When Jesus found her, she was an outcast. Uh, No one would go near her. Another person with a reputation uh, in her community that nobody wanted to associate with. But if we've learned anything about Jesus, right, it's that these are the people he likes to choose. And Jesus took Mary in and she became a close friend and she traveled with him and the disciples throughout his ministry. And Mary would be the first one to discover the empty tomb and she would be the first one to meet Jesus resurrected and she would be the first one to preach the news, the gospel of a resurrected savior. Jesus uses the most unlikely people to carry his story into the world. And these people encountered Jesus and he transformed their lives from the inside and out. He filled them with hope and peace and healing and joy. And they didn't just hoard those things for themselves, but they turned towards their friends and their communities, the places where they spend their time. And they shared the good news with them too. But like we've talked about already, this is exactly how God has designed us. He designed us to feel the reward of sharing and giving and loving, to get that hit of oxytocin every time we love our neighbors. He has made us this way because he himself is this way. We're going to close now. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and close out with one last song. If you have experienced the joy of knowing Jesus... And the joy of salvation, the joy of healing, then it should be your next step to turn towards the people in your life and your families and your workplaces and share that joy with them. If it's good news for you, it is good news for them too. There's something infectious about joy. There's something powerful about it, but it is most powerful when it is shared. My friend, Steph, uh, who's leading us in worship this morning, she shared a powerful thought at our prayer meeting that we have on Wednesdays where we pray for you and our community. And she told us that she has to ask herself this question. Who does she want to see in her row at church? What does she want her row to look like? Who does she want to be sitting next to on Sundays? And what is she gonna do to make that happen? That's a good question for each of us to ask. Who do you want sitting next to you? Who do you want in your room? Who do you want to share your story of the joy of Jesus with? And if you can't think of anybody, that is a problem that we need to fix. At the end of his ministry, the resurrected Jesus stood in front of all of his followers for the last time before he would ascend to be with the Father. And he had said so much throughout his ministry. And in this moment, he would give his final instructions. And he said this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then he left. Go tell the world. Take it to the ends of the earth. Jesus gave us the joy of the good news so that we could be the ones that carry it to a world that so desperately needs good news. And let me pray for us as, as we close. And as I pray, I want you where you are this morning to, to, to pray with me. I don't know if you're watching online, pray with me, but I want you to ask God to reveal to you or to think in your mind of somebody that you want to see join you in your row here at Fort City. Somebody that you want to see in your row, Somebody who could benefit from the joy that you've already experienced yourself. And pray for that person. Pray for that family pray that they'll join you here. And then sometime this week, sometime this month, sometime as you're in your regular day-to-day life, begin to share your story with them and invite them to be part of our church. Invite them to sit with you. Remind them that not all of us are grumpy grouches. Some of us are actually filled with joy, joy that we wanna share the good news of the story of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you that you have made us the way that you have. That you have made us like you. And that you have given us the gift of joy and the ability to share that. Jesus, I thank you that you lived, you died, you were resurrected to make a way for us to be right before you as an invitation for us to join your family, as an invitation for us to join the kingdom of heaven and work in the world. You've made a way for us and we thank you. And Jesus, for some of us who have been Christians a long time and that joy seems like a distant memory, I want to take just a moment to pray for them. Like David said, that you would return to them the joy of their salvation. And Jesus, where we have become serious or grumpy or where we have uh, furthered that idea that Christians are are, are judgmental or are, are curmudgeons, Jesus, restore to us the joy of our salvation. Remind us what it was like in the beginning when it was exciting and fresh and new and important. Fill us with joy again this morning, the sort of joy that overflows into the world around us. And Jesus, I pray that this morning for those of us who are thinking about We want to invite to join us sometime here in Fort City that you bring somebody to mind, a family, a person that could benefit from hearing the greatest story ever told. Jesus, give us the courage to reach out and share with them our story of joy. And we would see these rows filled with the people of our communities. And Jesus, as we spend a moment in worship, I just pray that you would give us the courage. Be the kind of church to throw off seriousness, to throw off grumpiness, to throw off judgment, to embrace joy. It's the greatest story ever told. I pray this in your holy names. Amen.